Hi everyone, you're listening to the Health and Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Alison Mitchell, a practicing naturopath, and you can find me on naturopathnsw.com.au. Today I'll be talking about reasons for fatigue. These podcasts will feature discussions about various health conditions, health tips, and nutrition from a naturopathic perspective. Sometimes it's just me, sometimes I'm interviewing guests. All the time I hope to share with you information on health and well-being with the aim to empower and educate. Please remember that all information is general and not a specific recommendation that replaces consulting with a practitioner. Please talk to your healthcare practitioner before undertaking any changes to your treatment regime. Please remember that all information is general and not a specific recommendation that replaces consulting with a practitioner. Please talk to your healthcare practitioner before undertaking any changes to your treatment regime. Energy problems can affect everyone. And they come in all sorts of different types and degrees of problems as well. You can have mental fatigue, physical fatigue, and you can just have general sleepiness. On the extreme, you've got things like chronic fatigue syndrome, which is where you have persistent fatigue that lasts for longer than 12 months. Often it has other symptoms as well, like swollen glands, muscle pain, and brain fog. But sometimes you can just experience fatigue and there doesn't seem to be any particular cause for it. What I want to talk about today is a lot of different things that can actually cause you to become fatigued and how to actually look for that and some little tips on what you can do about it. 10 to 20% of people globally report persistent fatigue and it tends to affect females more. It's a really common issue that I see in clinic and it's usually something that people feel that they just have to put up with or they feel that's normal. So what I want to share with you today is that there's lots of different reasons that you can be experiencing fatigue. And obviously this isn't a 100% conclusive list, but it is some of the most common factors. So I hope that with this information, then you'll be able to get an idea of what might be happening for you and then take steps to actually address that. Before we get into the other reasons for fatigue, I want to talk about mitochondria. Mitochondria are the place in your cells that you're making energy, and that's where you make your ATP, also known as adenosine triphosphate. Some people genetically have better mitochondria than others, but there are some factors which can affect it, like certain nutritional deficiencies in things like magnesium, B vitamins, iron, zinc, or coenzyme Q10. I like to think of the mitochondria as a little factory within our cells and in here a process called oxidative phosphorylation is taking place. In technical terms it's the controlled transport of highly volatile electrons to create the force needed to regenerate ATP. Like I said mitochondria are different in different people and one of the things that affects that is something called mitochondrial capacity. We can actually encourage an increase in this mitochondrial capacity by placing demand on our cells. Exercise is one of the best ways to do this. Other ways includes calorie restrictions, but not in the sense that you'd be chronically starving yourself. Rather, you're having a healthy lifestyle and diet where you don't overeat and calories are very gradually reduced with age. There are also phytochemicals within plants and herbs that can mimic this process as well, such as in resveratrol. The key nutrients for our mitochondria are carnitine, B vitamins, magnesium and calcium, coenzyme Q10, lipoic acid, iron and copper. Our mitochondria are a source for 90% of our energy within the cells and a cell can contain 200 to 2000 mitochondria at a time depending on the type of the cell. 
our mitochondria are susceptible to something called reactive oxygenation species or oxidative stress. It's gen or generally referred to as oxidative damage. Having adequate levels of coenzyme Q10 can help to protect our mitochondria against this oxidative stress. Things like statin medications are one of the most common ways that our coenzyme Q10 levels get depleted. The thing with coenzyme Q10 deficiency as well is that it actually can cause deficiencies of other nutrients because coenzyme Q10 is involved in the recycling of these, so things like your vitamin C and vitamin E. If you've got a CoQ10 deficiency, you also have an increased process of aging, you experience muscle weakness and fatigue, and eventually it can lead to heart failure as well. So what are some of the main problems that can actually contribute towards fatigue? Inflammation, particularly chronic inflammation, stress or adrenal fatigue, thyroid problems, a lack of exercise, not eating enough generally, poor sleep, being overweight, depression, certain medications, nutritional deficiencies and toxicity. When you think about inflammation, it's not just having a sore knee or having a sore shoulder. Think about inflammation as like this chronic fire or this low-grade fire that's dwelling throughout the body where our immune system is constantly being activated against various sources. And so you've got this chronic depletion of your nutrients, a chronic source of stress, and a chronic immune imbalance as well. Most of the time, inflammation can be coming from the gut. We know that in people with chronic fatigue syndrome, up to 70% of them can have irritable bowel syndrome, which is quite a lot. People with CFS have got marked alterations in their microbiome, which is the, the balance of your good and your bad bacteria. They have things like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, a reduced level of bifidobacterium noted on stool cultures, and they've also got an increased frequency of having intestinal permeability, also known as leaky gut. Chronic infection can be a really big problem for inflammation as well. And so there can be a whole variety of different infections that you can have. But one of the common ones that I see is a chronic sinus infection. The other sorts of symptoms that you might want to you might be able to see with a chronic infection is things like insomnia, depression, and in your blood tests you'd be often seeing slightly higher levels of monocytes, or you might actually be seeing low levels of neutrophils long term because your immune system has just been so depleted from having to deal with this infection that your immune cells just can't keep up with it. You can also test positive for having antibodies to specific bacteria or viruses. The really common ones with fatigue issues is Epstein-Barr virus or EBV, cytomegalovirus or CMV, Lyme disease, which is actually becoming much more prevalent in Australia or, or not so much more prevalent but more widely accepted, and Ross River virus as well. After you get an initial infection, there can be a further inflammatory response and sometimes this can actually develop into an autoimmune reaction as well. So what's actually happening that's causing the fatigue? Well, your pro-inflammatory cytokines, the TNF-alpha, and your interleukin-1 inhibit your mitochondrial function and then therefore your energy production. Apart from affecting your thyroid, inflammation can also cause a depletion of testosterone in men, which can lead to andropause. And this is another common reason for fatigue. Andropause is often referred to as male menopause, or as I like to call it, the grumpy old man syndrome. <laughs> it's really common to start experiencing symptoms of this from about 40 onwards, and usually the sort of symptoms that you'd be experiencing apart from fatigue is a lowered libido or a difficulty with achieving or maintaining an erection, and you could also be experiencing 
a reduced mood or difficulty losing weight. So what we want to aim for in dealing with this is having plenty of good fats, in particular your omega-3s, and they're really helpful in protecting your cells and your mitochondria from that reactive oxygenation species, or ROS. The thing about inflammation is that it can affect other areas in the body as well. It doesn't just directly cause this fatigue via that inflammatory response. It can also be affecting your thyroid problems. It can also affect your iron levels, because if you're chronically inflamed, your body will sequester iron, which will mean that you can have plenty of iron in your food, but then your body will say, well, actually, I don't want too much of this because the iron's going to feed that infection or feed that inflammation. So it will say, so just get rid of it and you don't absorb it. And the thing about that is that if you've got chronically low iron levels, that's linked to thyroid problems as well. So you can have this multifactorial cause for your energy problems. Of course, we can't talk about fatigue without talking about stress. It's one of the major causes of fatigue that I usually see. And what we're looking at here is adrenal fatigue. Adrenal fatigue is one of those ones that not everyone really knows about or they know a little bit about it, but it might not be widely accepted as well. Sometimes it can be referred to as HPA axis dysfunction. And this is actually much more widely accepted in the conventional medicine community. The symptoms that you would be experiencing if you do have adrenal fatigue is that your energy levels will dip down, especially in the morning and the afternoon around that three o'clock mark. And what's happening is your cortisol levels, they should be peaking in the morning and then they should just gradually reduce throughout the day and into the night where they're quite low so that your melatonin levels can come in and help you to get a good night's sleep. But what's happening is that Depending on the stage of adrenal exhaustion that you're in, you could have low levels of cortisol in the morning, so you're struggling to get out of bed. You might have a bit of a peak mid-morning, and then it will dip away in the mid-afternoon, causing that 3 o'clock slump. Usually it's linked with your blood sugar levels too, so you get those cravings. And then it will peak again at night, or usually around that 6 to 7 o'clock mark. Sometimes it can be a little bit later, so you get that second wind. This is really, really common in people who have been pushing themselves really hard for a long time or they've been sick for a long time. And adrenal fatigue can also come on after a trauma or an infection or a big stressor or a big shock. Adrenal fatigue also will affect your other hormones and it can deplete certain nutrients like your B vitamins, your vitamin C and your magnesium. So you've got to keep in mind that throughout all of these things that they're usually linked to other problems as well there isn't always going to be just one major trigger for it that's usually well this is probably what started it and then it's affected this which has affected this and then you get this flow on chain but you've got to get to the root cause for me i find that stress is a major one <laughs> so when you're chronically stressed you can also develop thyroid problems Hypothyroid disorder is usually the one that contributes towards your fatigue. And what's happening there is that your, your thyroid hormones aren't high enough to actually produce the mitochondria within the cells, and so your metabolism overall slows down. You might be experiencing a feeling of general sluggishness or brain fog. You might also be experiencing weight gain, which is a really common one for thyroid problems. And so you've got this slow mitochondria. If you haven't listened to my previous podcast, which was all about thyroid disorders, I encourage you to go back at the end of this and have a listen, or maybe pause this one now and have a listen, because there's so much to know about thyroid problems, and 
One of the key things that I really want to impress on you is that you can actually have a sluggish thyroid and it will come up normal in thyroid tests. So when you go and get your blood test done, they'll usually tell you that everything's fine. But if you actually look at your numbers, there's a few things that you can do. You can have a look at the TSH, which is usually the only thing that gets tested when you're just doing a general screening. And if it's two or greater, that gives you a bit of a hint that your thyroid is starting to be a bit sluggish or struggling. And so from there, you would say, well, do I have the symptoms? Do I think it's necessary? Then you might need to pay to get that additional testing done. But you can also do your basal body temperature charting, which is where you take your temperature first thing in the morning and then you can actually get an idea about whether your thyroid is struggling or not because it might be too low consistently. If it's too low, then you might want to talk to your healthcare practitioner about where to go from here and they can usually guide you into the best decisions because they might say, yes, I think that thyroid might be a part of this, but you might actually, they might actually be able to sort of identify from your case history that there's other things going on as well. So it's not always necessary to do that as your first thing. But thyroid problems are really common and there's such a huge variety of thyroid symptoms. So it can be responsible for a lot of problems that you'd be experiencing. Getting back to basics, you think about the nutritional deficiencies that can contribute towards energy problems. So your most common one is obviously iron. Pretty much everyone knows about iron deficiency, anemia, as a major reason for fatigue. Your symptoms that would go along with that would usually be things like pale skin or shortness of breath. People who have been iron deficient and anemic in the past usually know that it's a really specific type of fatigue that you experience when your iron levels are low. So they can often say, all right, well, it's time to go and get my iron levels checked again, and then you can start supplementing. But in some people who haven't experienced iron iron deficiency before, it's kind of hard to actually figure out without getting the blood test done. And so there's lots of different things that can contribute towards it. You might have that inflammation that's sequestering your iron. You, you might also get iron deficiency as a result of blood loss or, or bleeding, which could be from things like heavy periods, or it could also be from stomach ulcers or some digestive problems. You might also not be absorbing the iron. And there's lots of different reasons for that, which we'll go into a bit more later. The other sorts of nutritional nutritional deficiencies that you can experience would be things like B vitamins. And so this is just another one that, again, is really common and it's mostly caused by stress or it could be from eating bad food or junk food. Similarly, magnesium, which, again, is depleted in stress and eating a bad diet for a long time. And you can notice that you would experience symptoms like eye twitches or muscle twitches if you're deficient in magnesium. Zinc, similarly, really common to be deficient in this, uh, and the sort of symptoms that you might experience with that is peeling nails or little white spots on the nails, a weakened immune system or skin problems. And so all of these things you can get assessed with your healthcare practitioner. In terms of the B vitamins, sometimes you can have a genetic problem which will actually affect your ability to process certain B vitamins, in particular your vitamin B9 or folate and your vitamin B12. This is really something that you want to get tested for if you are suspicious because you don't want to be mucking around with your synthetic versions of your folic acid if you're not sure what's happening for you because if you have this gene, which is MTHFR gene, then taking folic acid, which is the synthetic version of folate, can actually cause you to feel a whole lot worse. 
Certain medications can also affect your energy levels. And these can af affect the mitochondria function and they can also cause depletions of certain nutrients as well. So before changing any medication, you always want to talk to your healthcare practitioner about this. But the ones to keep in mind are antidepressants, any hypertensives, steroid medications, any histamines, sedatives, anti-anxiety medications, and also if you're going through a withdrawal from any other type of medica medication, that can cause you to become really fatigued as well. Insufficient levels of exercise are a huge driver of fatigue. And this is such a hard sort of situation to deal with because if you're fatigued, you don't want to exercise. But if you do exercise, as long as there's no other sorts of major issues going on, it will actually improve your energy. If you're not exercising enough, you get what's called ischemia, which is where you get this reduced blood flow into the cells and the muscles. And so as a result, you get... And so as a result, and so as a result, you get a reduction in, in your mitochondrial number. So you just don't have that ability to produce the energies. Doing more exercise, in particular doing your weight training, leads to more mitochondrial cells and therefore more energy levels. Not doing enough exercise to begin with, though, isn't always a predisposing factor for fatigue because a lot of people who develop things like chronic fatigue syndrome are actually overachievers to begin with and they've been exercising maybe too much and pushing themselves too far and so it's rather it's more of a maintaining factor for reasons for fatigue when you're dealing with fatigue you and you're wanting to start exercising you don't want to just jump back in there all gung-ho you actually want to just focus on doing what feels good for yourself and not placing extra stress on your body you might want to start with just doing 10 or 20 minutes a day and then gradually working up from there and doing a variety of different types of exercise throughout the week, like a bit of walking and then a bit of weight training, maybe a bit of yoga as well. But then again, everyone's different. You just do what feels good for yourself. Now, this one is sounds really obvious, but it's actually a really common one that I see. And it's where people just, they just aren't eating enough food. And so as a result, you just get this calorie deficit that causes your body to become fatigued and worn out because you don't have the actual energy from your food to power through the day. And so the reasons for this might be if people have a digestive problem that's causing their appetite to be reduced or they could be on a diet or they could just have this belief that the less that I eat, the more I'll lose weight. But the thing with this is that low-calorie diets will work short-term and so people will keep chasing that. But the thing is, is that if you keep doing that long term, your metabolism is going to drop further and further and further. And fasting diets may actually cause a depletion of your muscle cells because particularly you can develop protein deficiency or other nutritional deficiencies if you aren't eating enough overall. If you're not getting in enough energy throughout the day, your brain requires glucose as your main source of fuel. And so it will start breaking down your muscle fibers to turn into glucose to feed your brain. And so you'll just become more and more fatigued, feeling more weak in yourself as well. And so the whole cycle perpetuates. Some people aren't even aware that they're not eating enough. They might think that it's all good, but then they if you actually go in and you work out how many calories you need, 
and then you'd keep a diet diary and you'd actually measure your food. And you don't have to do it long term. You just do it for a little while to actually see what you're actually intaking. And then you can find that, oh my gosh, I'm actually way under or you might be way over. And that's going to actually cause you to become fatigued as well. I'm not a huge believer in calorie counting long term, but I do think that it's a good idea to get an understanding of what you generally require and then what you generally do and try and work around that. If you're a couple of hundred calories over from or under from day to day, it's no big deal. It's what you're doing most of the time that's important. Another real obvious driver for low energy levels is if you're not getting enough sleep. We should be getting around seven to nine hours depending on our age but most people are averaging around 4 to 6.5 hours. Most people can deal with a day or two of a poor night's sleep, but it's when it starts to build up over time and you're constantly getting this poor quality sleep, that's when your energy levels are really going to start to suffer. For some people, they might experience difficulty getting to sleep at night to begin with, and instead of taking the usual 10 to 20 minutes to fall asleep, it can take an hour or two. And in that time, that can actually get incredibly stressful because the longer you're awake, the more you're actually thinking about, I need to fall asleep, and the whole cycle perpetuates. Some people are fine to get to sleep to begin with, but then they wake up throughout the night. And it's actually quite normal to wake up one or two times throughout the night, but it's how quickly you get back to sleep after that that determines whether it's going to be affecting the quality or not. If you're stressed, if you're depressed, or if you're anxious, that's going to be affecting your sleep quality because it will make you either have trouble getting to sleep to begin with or it'll make you wake up throughout the night. Your brain will be racing if you're overly stressed or if you're worrying or you're thinking about something. So taking steps to actually reduce that from happening, maybe doing some mindfulness techniques or some meditation before you go to bed can be really helpful. Be conscious of your caffeine intake as well. You don't really want to go over two to three cups of coffee a day and particularly you don't want to have any after 2 to 4 p.m. if you're prone to sleep issues. Instead of having that cup of tea before bedtime, switch to something that's going to be a bit more calming or soothing like a chamomile tea or a passion flower tea, which could be really nice. A lot of people with chronic sleep issues choose to use alcohol as a way to get them off to sleep, but this can actually make it worse long term and sometimes if you have a few nights where you trial not having any alcohol to drink at all you may find that you'll actually better get a better quality sleep and you'll wake up feeling a lot better in the morning so play around with it and see what works for you people who have sleep apnea may not actually notice in themselves that their sleep is disturbed however you'll usually wake up feeling like you're on death's door and you're completely unrefreshed if you have someone in the bed with you, they might actually be able to tell you whether you snore or whether you are actually stopping your breathing throughout the night. It's quite an obvious sort of gaspy noise that people make when they have this sleep apnea that indicates that they're stopping breathing. And so if you've got sleep apnea, then throughout the whole night, your oxygen levels in your blood are going to be much lower than they should be. You're not able to refresh and regenerate the way that you should be. Unfortunately, for people who have to do shift work, this is a situation that's incredibly difficult to deal with, but you can do some things to help. For instance, you can you can try taking melatonin, which you can get with your doctor, or you can try taking homeopathic melatonin, or you can take herbs that will help with 
reducing the amount of stress on your body, being really careful about what you're eating and getting adequate levels of nutrients so that your body is not placed under extra stress can be helpful as well. And some people are really sensitive to electromagnetic radiation. This can be things like just even having your mobile phone on the bed next to you, or it can be having your TV on. All of that sort of stuff you might want to trial getting rid of if you do have sleep issue. So no charges in the room, no phones in the room, use a battery powered alarm clock, get the TV out of the room, and then you can go one step further and, and even have a look and see where your power box is. For some people it's right outside their bedroom wall, and this can be a huge source of electromagnetic radiation throughout the night, and so you might want to consider moving where your bed is positioned or even moving your bedroom altogether. Turn your Wi-Fi off at night. And then for an hour before bed, you have a period of no screen time. So you're not using your computer, you're not using your TV or your phones. You're just gradually getting ready for bed in a calm, relaxed manner, ideally operating by candlelight. And the reasoning for this is that not only are you reducing your source of your electromagnetic radiation, but you're also improving your melatonin hormone levels. Because when you're looking at a TV screen or a computer or a smartphone, it creates this blue light and the blue light will actually interfere with your melatonin hormones which means that your sleep isn't going to be as good quality. So you can get things like some glasses that will be a shade of orange or you can get a certain function on your smartphone that will actually reduce the blue light but the ideal way to do it is to cut out that screen time for that hour and just read or have a nice bath or just have a nice chat with your family and just relax and then go to bed. If you're eating too soon before dinner time, that's going to be affecting your sleep quality as well. So you might want to try having your dinner a little bit earlier and not snacking before dinner time. And you might also want to try increasing your exercise or your activity levels throughout the day. And the benefit of this is that it increases your sleep debt so that you're much more tired when it comes to bedtime and you get a better quality sleep. If you're not getting enough sleep, you're going to have an increase in your inflammation levels. And as you know, that can definitely affect your mitochondrial function and affect all other sorts of hormonal functions. So sleep is a pretty important one. People who are overweight often experience fatigue. There's a few reasons for this. Obese people often have an increase in their inflammatory chemicals and an increase in their reactive oxygenation species. And so this inflammation is going to be affecting your mitochondrial health, but it's also going to be impairing your insulin and your insulin signaling. As a result, you get this impaired blood glucose metabolism throughout the day, which can feed into adrenal exhaustion and it can directly affect your energy levels as well. If you've got impaired insulin signaling, then your intake of food is just going to be going to be stored as fat rather than actually burnt off and used as fuel throughout the day. People who are overweight commonly experience diabetes and they commonly experience sleep apnea as well. On top of that, it can actually be physically tiring to carry around a lot of weight. People who are overweight are often frequently dieting in an attempt to lose the weight, but they might not be doing it in a form that's actually conducive to having good quality energy levels. Or they may be in that long-term mindset of, if I'm not eating, then I'm going to lose weight. And then you're in this chronic starvation mode. Or they may just be eating a poor diet to begin with. 
if you have a poor diet of high refined sugars and processed food a lot of the time and you're not getting any sufficient protein or good fats or you, your good balance of your complex carbohydrates, and that's going to be causing you to become fatigued as well. A diet of high refined foods is also going to be a diet that's deficient in a lot of nutrients that you need for your energy production. And then from there, you get the issue of if you're overweight, you don't feel like exercising, and you get all those problems that we talked about before, where you have the reduced level of blood flow through the muscles and the cells, and you get the reduced mitochondrial number in your cells as well. So it's this vicious cycle. Like I said before, there's usually a multifactorial component to a lot of these reasons, and so hormonal issues can be a huge, huge player when it comes to weight imbalances. And so that can actually be the cause for the weight problems. And so dealing with that first will mean that it's much easier to lose the weight. For naturopaths, the gut is like the pivot for your health. And you've got to have a good functioning gut to actually have everything else working properly. There's so many different things that can affect your gut health. And it can be from maybe eating something that you're a bit intolerant to long term or eating a junk food diet or it can be if you actually have a condition that affects your digestive function for instance celiac disease is really commonly undetected and so that can lead to malabsorption of certain nutrients which means that you could be eating a perfect diet but you're not getting any benefit from it whatsoever because your gut isn't in a state to absorb anything from it bacterial imbalances such as having high levels of candida or blastocystis or anything along those lines can also affect your energy levels. So if you're concerned about your digestive function, it may be worthwhile talking to your practitioner about getting a stool analysis done to see if you do have maybe an overgrowth of some unfriendly bacterial or other organisms, or you might not have enough of your other good bacteria. Generalized toxicity can affect your mitochondrial health as well. And there's a lot of different sources for this. It can be occupational. For instance, farmers, beauticians, hairdressers, they are all really common occupations that can be a high toxicity source. You can get a bit of an idea about whether you do have a toxicity problem on your liver function blood tests. Often your GGT enzymes are going to be a little bit elevated. However, it's not the only reason for that. And you want to take into consideration a lot of other symptoms that you're experiencing as well. People who are chronically toxic, toxic might have skin problems, a lot of chronic bloating, and they might have mood imbalances. Heavy metal exposure can be a pretty common factor, and so this can be coming from our food source. We can be inhaling it. We can be getting it through skin-to-skin um, -skin contact, depending on your occupation, and we can also be getting it through general pollution. In this day and age we are exposed to a lot more toxicity than we used to be and so our levels are increasing. Something like a hair mineral analysis might be helpful for some people to assess what their toxic levels are like, particularly of the heavy metals. So what do you do if you've been chronically tired for a long time and you just don't know why? The first thing that I would suggest is to start working out a timeline. When was the last and think think to yourself when was the last time that I felt really good? So work that out and then you start thinking about, well, what happened around that time? There might be some form of stress. There might have been, an, you might have developed an infection around that time. You might have moved house. You might be 
you might have moved for instance you might have moved to a house that has a lot of mold or maybe it was a really old house that has some pipes that are imparting some heavy metals or maybe you're getting some heavy metals be, being close to a road or you're under a flight path so if you work out the timeline then you can usually get some hints as to things that might be triggers unfortunately for a lot of people their fatigue has been going on for so long that they can't actually remember a time when they felt good. And if this is the case, then it's worthwhile doing a few tests just to assess where you're at. If you see a practitioner, you, the thing that I would usually do is I would take a case history and ask about lots of different body systems. And so imbalances in particular body systems can sort of lead you towards testing that might be the most indicated. For instance, if you've got a lot of stress or mood problems, then that would probably indicate that it's necessary to do some adrenal hormone profile testing. Or if you've got an imbalance in your periods, then that might say, oh, well, your hormones might need testing as well. We'll pretty much always look at the gut because as I said, it's the pivot for your general health and you need to have a good functioning gut to have a good functioning body overall. Before you start supplementing with iron, it is worthwhile getting your iron levels tested because too much iron can be toxic. If you think that inflammation is the trigger for you and you're not really sure what it is, but rather you just do feel generally inflamed, then you can increase some turmeric in your diet. You might want to cut down on your trans fats and boost up your omega-3s through your fish intake and increase your intake of your antioxidant foods as well, like all your brightly coloured fruit and veg. I do generally find that the more real foods and plant foods that you have, the better you feel within yourself. Everyone's different though. Some people might find that they, they do need a bit of meat to actually keep themselves going properly, and some people might find that they really thrive on a plant diet. So it, it's really worthwhile trialling different things and working it out. But as a general rule, I say get rid of the junk food, get rid of the processed food and all the sources of your hidden sugar like in your sauces. Basically anything that you buy from the outside of the supermarket or from the fruit and veg shop, that's okay. If you're going a bit deeper into the supermarket and you're buying packet stuff, that's when you want to be starting to really be diligent about checking your labels and looking for your added, added sources of sugars and chemicals. And if it's got a lot of that in it, you might want to consider not buying it. Depression is a really common cause of fatigue. A lot of people who have depression say that fatigue is actually the most debilitating symptom associated with their depression. It can affect your sleep levels, it can cause inflammation, it can cause and or be related to a lot of other hormonal problems as well, like thyroid problems and adrenal problems. Certain antidepressant medications unfortunately can cause fatigue as well and then they can worsen the whole situation. If you, if you experience depression and you're on antidepressants and you still don't feel good, then it means that you should be digging a bit deeper as to other reasons because a simple neurotransmitter imbalance, not that it's actually simple, but it's not, it's not the only thing that's causing you to feel the way that you are. And so there would probably be a lot of other things underlying that's actually contributing to you feeling the way that you're feeling. Of course, I can't finish this podcast without talking about my favorite herbs for energy levels. And so there's a lot of different types that we use, and it depends a lot on 
whether you've got anxious fatigue or depressive fatigue or stress fatigue, you get the picture. But my favourite herbs for energy levels would have to be Siberian ginseng, rhodiola and romania. They're all adaptogens and they work by helping your body cope with stress more effectively. If your body's coping with stress more effectively, then the hormones are going to be in better tune, your mood's going to be better, and you're also going to get better nutrient absorption. I do love some digestive support whenever we're dealing with energy levels as well, and that might be some herbs that actually enhance absorption, or it might be getting people to chew more, or it could just be putting in some fermented food. Great! So thanks so much everyone for listening today, and I hope that this information is helpful. So stay tuned for the next episode, which is going to be on digestive health.